Clubhouse Press Pass, your one-stop shop podcast where we take you behind the scenes with coverage of festivals, cons, and live events. We're at the end of our coverage for Season 10 of the ATX TV Festival. This whole 10 days has been virtual, and we've been bringing you coverage every single day. Caroline is here with me. Hello, Caroline. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Are you sad to see ATX go for one more year, or are you excited because it's going to be back in person next year? I'm excited that it's going to be back in person this upcoming year. I feel kind of like I haven't gotten my full fix, Mm -hmm. so it's hard to be completely sad. I miss it. I just miss it in general. I think my hope is that they keep the lack of overlap as much as they can when they go back mm. in person, that they space it, that they they try and do time management a little bit better. Because I, I enjoyed at least being given the chance, even if it didn't always come to fruition where I made, I was able to get to my couch in time to watch every single panel that I wanted to. At least it wasn't because I was having to, you know, make a, a Solomon's choice, uh, you know, for with this panel or that panel. I hope they incorporate that when they go back in person, at least or at least for the the big stuff. It's a mixed bag, though, Mike, because the thing is, is that having gone for so many years, one of the things that's super nice about this festival is that it is so quiet and small and intimate when you're in the sessions. And part of that is because they use this Southwest boarding passes thing and there are only X amount of seats in a certain panel. So the fact that there are different panels that do overlap, that's actually, you know, helpful because sometimes, you know, you wouldn't get your first pick and you need to go get in a line for something else. So that's okay. And and they said, well, we could put it in a ballroom and there could be hundreds of people in here. It would certainly be a much different feel. So it's it's a mixed bag. I I appreciate what they were trying to do, but some of the the venues that they were using, sadly, are now closed. The Ritz uh, Alamo Drafthouse was a a real favorite and that one's gone now. So unless that opens up as something else that they can still use by next year, that venue is is really one that, man, I swear I've seen the majority of my panels in for them. When I was there for South by, I feel like I was at the Paramount a lot. Yes, that's that's the very large one. And that's where they did like the Gilmore Girls reunion and also Battlestar Galactica and stuff like that. But the smaller panels, you know, where you actually got a chance to get like a meal and you would like sit there and just kind of sit back and enjoy. And you usually watched an episode and everything. It was just so homey and cozy. I, I miss that. And yeah. I don't know if, how it's going to work moving forward. No, for sure. I mean, listening to you guys talk about it over the last couple of years that I've known you guys. You know, it, it, it feels so much more intimate and and cozy. That's a good word versus, say, like lining up or sleeping outside for Hall H out in San Diego. Right. You know? right. Very different vibe. And, and it also it gave you a lot of time to get to know other people because you were kind of like I like in my brain. I think of it, you know, how like puppies like sleep all over the top of each other. It's kind of like that when you're like in line for things and you end up like chit chatting with people and then seeing them at another session and visiting. And we've made friends over the years and seen the same people. This is the only thing we see them at. But we keep up with them. It's, it's like going to sleepover camp or something. You're like fast friends. I do like sleeping in piles. So <laughs> that works out for you. <laughs> that, that, that was honestly, I don't know that I heard anything else after that point. But uh, we are here talking about the last day of ATX day 10. Uh, there were two panels that were of interest to me, but we're only going to be talking about one here. Uh, the other one was Surreal Estate, which is a upcoming sci fi show starring two ex cast members from Schitt's Creek, Tim Rosin and Sarah Levy. 
but we're not going to be talking about that here because we're going to be doing separate coverage when we get into July as that show gets closer too. So we're not going to hear about it now. We're talking about the other show star- starring a former Schitt's Creek cast member. Kevin can fuck himself. This was a panel you and I were really looking forward to because we are hosting the dedicated after show podcast for Kevin can fuck himself. Kevin can podcast himself. What was your excitement level for seeing uh, this panel in an ATX setting? I was very hopeful by having Annie Murphy and Mary Hollis Bowden and Valerie Armstrong, who's the creator. I felt very hopeful that we were going to get some really great you know, behind the scenes information. And I felt like this panel really delivered. Sometimes they really can tiptoe around and they don't want to give too much away. It's so new. They don't, you know, they don't want to show their cards that much. But man, I really felt like Valerie explained her entire thought process behind the show. And and I didn't think that Annie or Mary Hollis held back at all about the set and, and how it all worked for them. Yeah, it was very unguarded in the best way possible. Uh, I've been reading a lot of press that Valerie especially has been doing. And so I've seen versions of the story she related at the panel a couple of times, but it's different reading it in print versus hearing her talk about her experience leading her, just even the the dream she had uh, envisioning that opening scene to just talking about what the show means to her, how she feels the show is tackling the traditional sitcom. But then hearing Mary and hearing especially Annie talk about their experiences of making the show and how that transformed them and just the the dynamic that came out for them of shooting the multicam sections of the show versus shooting the single cam sections of the show and how even on a show where they're skewering and they're dismantling and they're they're poking holes in the sitcom format and and the sitcom tropes it still left them feeling a little ostracized and a little angry and and they talked about moving to like the single cam format is like would be their time to breathe and and get like fresh air versus having little to nothing to do in the multicam sections it was really fascinating to hear them talk about it it was. I, I I felt happy to find out that Annie and Mary Hollis are good friends in real life and, and how their dynamic behind the scenes would affect the show. It was funny how Annie was explaining that she's one of those people that pick up on other people's accents and Mary Hollis has a very Southern accent. And so rather than giving her good Worcester accent, she would throw out this Southern <laughs> version when she would want to go do her lines if they had gone to lunch or something together. Little behind the scenes stuff like that is so important to me to to sort of feeling like I'm really getting that behind the scenes like I'm understanding who these people are more than just their characters there was a great question uh Danielle Terciano who was the moderator from Variety uh she asked uh, there was there was a bunch of time in the panel spent on accents as you can imagine Danielle asked and Mary and Annie how do you feel the accents are coming along? How do you feel, you know, you're, you're dealing with them. And Mary, she stepped in and she said, I'm going to speak on behalf of Annie and myself. When we find the accents, we'll report back to how we're doing on them. (laughs) I thought the two of them were really, really open with the fact that it's a process to nail that accent and fully anticipate some backlash from, you know, people from Massachusetts who, uh, you and I have already seen are kind of not lashing out, 
maybe lashing out, uh, 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 kicking back at why even set the show there if you can't do the accents and all that kind of predictable flack. Andy and Mary acknowledged it. Uh, they acknowledged it. They said, listen, we're doing the best we can. We had a dialect coach. She was a very patient woman. Uh, <laughs> you know, we tested her as best we could. And, you know, they both said that they both auditioned with New York New York accents because they just didn't have a grasp for that that Boston, you know, accent. Well, I well, so I, so here's the thing, though, I, I, and this is my own uh, New York-based uh, snobbery coming through. I don't know. Is a Boston accent different from a from a Worcester? Different from an Amherst? Different from somewhere else in Massachusetts? Do, or, or is it the mass? I always think of it more as the Massachusetts accents embodied by someone from Boston. I am not even going to pretend to tap onto that, except for I'm going to say if someone from outside New York says there's no difference at all between a Queens accent, Staten Island, Manhattan, Brooklyn. New York is New York. It's a New York accent. I think you would you would take umbrage with that, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, I would just smile at them and and pat them on the (laughs) head. Because you'd know they're wrong. (laughs) Pat them on the head and say they were cute. Yeah, I'm so I'm sure there is. I'm sure to people who live there, it doesn't sound right. And that's why I asked. We had somebody within, we run a Facebook group for Kevin Can Fuck Himself, and it's Kevin Can F Himself fans. If you guys have interest, come join us over on Facebook. And, you know, someone mentioned that it wasn't a good accent. And and I said, I'm from Texas. Can you give me an example of, like, what a good accent would be like? Like, can you help me with that? Because I really don't know. I lived in Massachusetts, but I didn't live in Worcester. I don't want to pretend like I know what it sounded like. I appreciate when they were explaining that career sounds the same as the country Korea. And when you hear it like that, when you say Korea, I'm like, oh, I hear it. Okay. Yeah, I get it. That isn't exactly the same as Boston. I don't know. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. This is a tough accent to nail. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, Annie, Annie said, there's a distinctness, I think, uh, this is basically a quote, if not, it's a very close paraphrase. She said, uh, there's a distinct possibility we will not be welcomed back in Massachusetts after this <laughs> show airs. And, and and was being, I mean, they were they were laughing about it. I mean, they weren't laughing about it in a mocking way. They, you know, they weren't taking it lightly. Uh, for, and very much the opposite. I, I, think, I think they both appreciated, and Valerie, too, appreciated how serious people from that area take their accents. Valerie picked Worcester because her brother's college roommate was from there, had this great dichotomy where he could acknowledge the problems of the town and and how it had almost like a dying feel to it. I mean, rot was the word she used. But at the same time, in, in equal and opposite force, had tremendous pride in the place, which I think comes through in the show that we've seen so far. Even Patty's character, you know, this is this is the best we can possibly imagine, and we're goddamn happy to have it. <laughs> you know, that kind of you know, it, it's it's shit, but it's our shit. Um, yeah. th- that that kind of feeling about it, and then when you take that together with the you know Korea and Korea uh, accent conversation, <laughs> you know it was interesting. It was it was interesting to, and I'm glad they addressed it. I'm glad they talked about it because it would be extremely tone deaf of them to go on the screen and be like, "We're nailing it." Listen, <laughs> I mean JFK's ancestors have called us and said, "Great job, ladies! <laughs> You're doing a wonderful job. <laughs> You're doing a wonderful job." 
Oh my god, yeah, no, park no. the car. We should not try. <laughs> park, park the car over in Boston Yard. Yeah, yeah. Har- Harvard, Harvard Yard. Khakis hey. sounds like sounds like a pair of pants. Khakis. 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 Get your khakis over here. Khakis. 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 Mm-hmm. Khakis is the same. It's so funny yeah. too because so I grew up in Queens, like you said, which Queens doesn't really have an accent of its own, but Long Island certainly. Oh my goodness! Oh, wait, no, no, stop. Queen, what, what Queens Queens doesn't Queens's accent is really the Long Island accent. So you have Brooklyn, which is, Brooklyn accent is the stereotypical accent that's you know hey get the fuck out of here go fuck your mother blah 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 that's like the brooklyn accent is like this stereotypical new york accent the queen's accent is really the long island accent and long island's accent is really just a bastardized form of the massachusetts accent so like people from long island don't say long island they say long island there's almost like a k sound on the g in like long so it's like long highland like you know like where are you from i'm from long island you know it's you know uh, there's no r's on water it's water it's all hard to do for sure i would not want to have to stand there and and run down all these accents it would be complicated i've spent a long time trying to not speak with an accent and so when i when i fool around and i do it all the time in podcasts or when we're offline i i often do my gabagol you know italian accent <laughs> yes. uh and uh you know but even that i was like i don't think that's actually what it sounds like i i i've been away for so long i'm not even sure if i remember how it sounds like but i know for sure if i got back around it i'm sure it would come flying back out in me what did you think of valerie talking about the things that made the story worthwhile for telling they decided that the pitch of going into the kitchen you know switching to a single cam and the allison character saying i hate my fucking husband she she described it as that was a nice pitch but that wouldn't have been enough of a story uh, and so she she went into telling uh, talking about the two things that made the story worth ta- with worth telling for her with doing a whole show for her. Did did you catch that part? Did you have any feelings on what she said there? Yeah, I appreciated it, and and I'm glad that she went into more detail for those who maybe are struggling a little bit with with where the show could go. I appreciated this whole concept of giving the benefit of the doubt to the Kevins of the world, and you know that there's been no like consequences for those men, and and, and that is not all men. That this is a specific man a specific person that she has in mind in her head and it's not you know it shouldn't be felt like you know attacking a gender or anything like that which i think is super important this actually came up in our last podcast uh, the fact that not all men are kevin's being a kevin isn't necessarily a gendered thing it's a role in a relationship it's something that you and i've been talking about since the first episode in the podcast the idea of being a kevin while it's certainly probably more men than women it's not necessarily a gender based role it's a it's a type of personality. But the way she was talking about it, the the bad behavior men who don't even realize they're getting the benefit of the doubt, they just assume it. I, I like that she talked about that because I think that's something people are having problems with in the show. You and I see a lot of commentary. We're in a lot of Shit's Creek groups and a lot of people are having problems with the show there because they're taking the sitcom section really literally as it's intended to be like a CBS sitcom, like taken at as such. It's it's a struggle for people right now. It's all about perspective and it shouldn't hit you as funny. You should have a problem, I think. If you're watching the show, and this is something it's something that you and I talked about in the podcast. I, 
as a side tangent, I was happy there. There was a lot of things that Valerie said in particular that you and I have said on the podcast. So it made me feel good that I feel like we're, uh, yeah, I was happy we're picking up on the right things. <laughs> I, I, same. I have all of my notes, all of my notes. I was like, we've talked about that. We've talked about yeah. that. So I was feeling yeah. really good about that. One of the things she said was that you have to get through the sitcom portion, even if it's not even if you're not finding it funny and you probably shouldn't be finding it funny if you're paying attention to the show. Uh, you need to sit through the sitcom portion of the show because it informs the single cam, the drama side of the show. You won't have the same, you won't understand the struggle of Allison and Patty without sitting through and enduring the sitcom portion the way Allison and Patty have to sit through the sitcom portion and stay on the sidelines and not it's not about them. I think that was an that was a, a an Annie quote. She's like that part of the show is not about us. We have nothing to do there. Yeah, and I thought that was cool that they could could pull back the curtain there and and actually speak between Annie and Mary Hollis and the fact that you know even as actresses they seriously aren't even really studying those scenes because they really are meant to just be sitting back and be truly ornamental is the word that Mary Hollis used and I, I felt like you know that is exactly how we're taking it as an audience and the thing is that I understand here here's the here's going to be the challenge for the show the sitcom portion is uncomfortable and people don't necessarily watch. TV TV to be uncomfortable. When you have that part, it's how are they going to keep audiences willing to come back? It's like self-flagellation, like you're willing to come back for cringe. How long can you do that? And it's only when you're really more invested in in Allison and Patty that I think that, you know, they they gave me some hope that they said you can start watching them and that there are going to be some sort of little telegraphed, you know, eyes at one another and stuff like that, that I'm hoping to start seeing more in the sitcom portion to feel like we're all in on the same joke, like Annie, Mary Hollis and the audience. We all get it. That was an important little detail that they let. And it's not really a spoiler as much as just an expectation that while currently You can't see real character growth in the sitcom section because that's not what, uh, say, a CBS sitcom would have. Again, something we've talked about. Sitcoms, by their nature, reset every week. And so you can't have character growth. And by extension, then, Patty and Allison can't bring their... Uh, their increased awareness of each other and whatever their relationship is becoming, that can't carry over right now into the sitcom world because that's the rules of the show. It's the rules of the show. It's the rule of the show within the show that it can't carry over. But big news from Valerie was that as the season goes on and toward the end of the season, you're going to start to see some bleed. There will be some looks that Patty and Allison give each other, some eye rolls, some growth, some ramification and consequences of the things that are happening actually starting to affect the sitcom show. That was that was really new information for me and really exciting to hear. That's where we're going. Yeah, as an as an audience member and as somebody who feels like, you know, we're we're really studying these characters and really trying to understand because this is very experimental. This feels very unique and fresh. And I want shows to feel like they can take risks like this. In order to enjoy it, I kind of feel like I'm not just watching it, I'm really studying it and trying to understand like, okay, why did they make this choice and why are characters able to go into the single cam world and which ones aren't and why and how does this all work? The other section that that Valerie talked about was that the show is, you know, 
you know, talking about hiding the flaws and about helping someone out there realize that they're not alone, that this isn't just, you know, you sitting in your own house feeling like, boy, I feel like I put on all these masks and I'm hiding all my flaws when really I have all these, you know, concerns and worries and anxiety about what's going on in my world. This was like a really cool little, like another little, like, glance in that we talked about wearing masks and how you do this, you know, whether you're at work and you're Kelvin or, you know, wherever you are, people fake to be other people all the time. I think she said something along the lines of like, you know, part of the show was about the rage that women feel, but can never share. And, and that if one woman, you know, like you said, feels seen, that'll make all the difference. And then Annie echoed that at the very end of the panel. And I'm, I'm glad that she re brought that up again, because I think it's going to be more than one woman. I think it's going to be more than one person. Again, it's not necessarily a gender thing. I think there's going to be a lot of people raising their hands. We've seen some of it already in the Facebook group. People standing mm -hmm. up and being like, "Listen, this is my life. I thought I could live with the sitcom, but it's so much of it's so much bullshit. It's so much abuse, you know, essentially." Like there this is an abusive relationship what Kevin is doing to Allison frequently. The moderator Danielle asked them if working on Kevin can fuck himself has changed how they watch shows uh, in particular how they watch sitcoms and both Annie and Mary had really interesting answers Mary's answer was interesting because she's she said you know it's actually making me think twice about whether or not I would actually audition to be in a multicam show in the future would I even go out to audition at this time for a sitcom given this existence you know uh, I think it was Annie raised a cheers early in the podcast to Erin Hayes she was the Allison character, the wife, the sitcom wife in Kevin Can Wait, the Kevin James show from which the title of this show is drawing its inspiration. That's staggering that a professional working actor would think about not going to audition for an entire segment of television as a result of their eyes being opened from working on this show. Think yeah. about think about the ramifications if a thing you did, a whole portion of the thing you did professionally, you realize was just enforcing a toxic shithole. That's staggering. If you've only seen one episode and you're not so sure about this, or if, if you feel like you watched it and you were kind of only halfway paying attention or something like that, if it's changing the minds of the actresses about this type of show, then maybe there's something more to it, you know, that maybe it's worth your time to take another, another look. One of the lines that I appreciated Valerie said was this show is not about a toxic marriage which is something fresh for us to hear because a lot of like you just said you know this is an abusive marriage that kind of thing but when she says it's not about a toxic marriage it's about women who help each other that was another one of those things where it's like, okay, if you're coming into this and you have a different mindset, if you're like, you know, it's kind of the Mr. Rogers look out, look for the helpers because there's always helpers in any like chaotic situation. Then you're looking at it with different eyes too. You kind of stop worrying about hating Kevin so much and you start looking for these other relationships that she's she's growing. The, the moderator got focused on whether or not they're going to get around to killing Kevin and dealing with that question. Valerie, to her credit, she said, listen, we answered we asked the question so at some point we're gonna have to answer it but i think the quote was let's not focus on how kevin dies but how allison lives wow that's and that's so huge i mean for a show that like is being chalked up to a show that has a laugh track on it and then so that's like many, making people very dismissive in a lot of ways that's a mouthful i, I was on the, i was hanging out on the reddit just checking out what people are saying about the show and i saw this 
comment, someone writing. I don't know what the creators are trying to get across here. That we know sitcom husbands are like silly and buffoons. And Annie said, it has a change in, in response to, has it changed how you watch TV? She goes, it has. Sitcoms have so much misogyny, bigotry, racism, and homophobia shrouded under a laugh track. You never think about it because we're trained to laugh at it. Because the, you know, the idea that this laugh track provides cover for us to ignore the horrendous things that are happening from all from these Kevins that exist in sitcoms. I think it very much goes back to what we had said in one of our episodes about if you put it on mute and put it on closed caption and read the words rather than let the let the left track get you off track, basically, and you just read the words for what they are. I, I think that they're stunningly offensive. I mean, even in this episode three, there's a scene where Patty gets a little bit of the Allison treatment from Kevin and Neil, where she comes up with a very smart, scientific way to go about a silly plan that the boys are hatching. And they look at her like she's an alien with like six antenna on her head. You know, it's it's like no one asked you, Patty, you're 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 a stupid woman kind of thing is the tone. And then there's like a laugh track. Ah, And then you just so you go by it. You don't stop and focus on what how they're treating this. This human. This is a human grown ass adult person. No one deserves to be treated that way. What did you think about when Annie Murphy had that really, I think, raw moment where she said that the crew gave Eric Peterson a standing ovation for one of his scenes, that that was the one and only time that that happened? And you could tell on her face this like super, uh, I don't want to say it was like judging them, but she was hurt by that. You know, you could tell there was something about that where it was like, did my own crew even understand what the show was about? The the setup for it was Kevin spent a whole day of doing physical, uh, the character Kevin, Eric Peterson, who plays Kevin, spent a whole day, an entire day shoot of doing physical comedy, which is exhausting. And, and she gave him credit. She's like, he is great. He is a great physical comedian. It was not easy, the things he was doing. And, and then, yeah, and then got a standing ovation and a round of applause. When she said that was the only time, as she said, no one else ever got a standing ovation or a round of applause for any of their performances. It was awkward, but it was also heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But it was it was the same. I felt the same way when she talked about how her her and Mary a little bit less than her, but how she doesn't have to do any preparation for the sitcom shooting days because they shoot, they shoot in blocks. So they spend three days shooting the sitcom scenes and then they're spending, you know, four or five days shooting the, the single cam scenes, the drama scenes. Yeah. It's not like they're going back and forth. So on the, the sitcom days, she's like, I just have to show up. I just have to go look pretty uh, in makeup and hair. And then I just have to show up. There's no preparation for me because there's so little to do for me. There's anger there. And she didn't hide it. She didn't back down from it. She said, listen, it makes me angry on the show that I'm enjoying being a part of. It makes me angry that I'm so ostracized from this whole section of the show. It broke my heart a little bit. It was extremely 
awkward. Even Valerie was there. She she she's aware of it. She's the one writing it, and even she's angry. She said she's like, "I'm angry. I'm I'm the one doing it. I'm the one making the show, and I'm angry mm-hmm. at it because that's what it requires. Because they're her conceit, the rule she set out for herself. I think she even referred to herself as a masochist. Is the sitcom portion has to be of the same quality and type that CBS would air. And CBS has aired and CBS has made a shit ton of money airing that kind of sitcom. And that's their rule. And that rule means the Allisons of the world, the sitcom wives of the world have little to do except for be butts of jokes. I just think when it carries over to the real world and your own crew doesn't appreciate the work that you're doing in the same way that they appreciate the Kevins, that takes it to a whole other level. I, you know, I kind of wonder if, if they hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed they get a season two. I kind of wonder if they would keep the same crew or if there's like, you know, if I was if I was Andy Murphy, I'd be like, I, you know, I, I want to see some people who understand what we're doing here, <laughs> you know, and, and I appreciate I really do appreciate the you know, wanting to cheer on physical comedy. I love physical comedy. You know, they're, they're great. You know, Melissa McCarthy does a ton of physical comedy. There's a lot of great women who do it too. This is not a woman man thing. It's just, it's so sad to me that all the things that they're doing and in like revealing these, these feelings and these complicated things that the women are dealing with doesn't get any play from their own crew. That feels problematic going forward. I hope that they actually address that. I hope that someone would ask that they address that. I hope someone is watching this panel. Yeah, I I, really do. Well, because it's also important to note that Valerie Armstrong, the creator, she's not the showrunner of the show. It's Craig DiGregorio is the showrunner. So Valerie may not even be on set for all of that. She may not even have known that until Annie said it. I can't believe they haven't discussed it behind the scenes. That is startling information. It doesn't seem like you could continue to make an authentic show with that set like that. Like, I don't think you can, I don't think I would be very comfortable. I'd be like, there has to be some people here who can appreciate the single camera drama portion of it at that same level. It's one of those awkward things where it's like, what are you asking for a standing ovation? Like, uh, you know, you can't be like, no one talks about that outwardly, right? But there should at least be some more appreciation from the people creating the show because I think it will come across. Maybe, Maybe the audience would feel that, that support. And maybe it's meant to be that way. Like, but how odd to be feeling unsupported as the actual human in the space, not playing the character, but just being Annie. And she is coming from a nest of love coming off of Shit's Creek, where the crew and the cast were so, so, so loving with each other. This could just be one of those situations where this is just standard. You know, no one was being cold and no one was being out of line or anything. It's just they're not, you know, the warm and, and cubby-wubby room kind of place that Shit's Creek was. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean... It's kind of puzzling, right? Like, it kind of hurts your heart that you're like, oof. And also, like, she talked about this. So good on ATX for getting such, like, a a fantastic panel conversation that she felt comfortable enough to talk about that and did. Good on Annie Murphy for saying it. If the point of the show is to dismantle the way it's always been done, then that conversation has to be had. It has to be said out loud somewhere. And honestly, it has to be said more than one time and it has to be said by more than one person. Otherwise, nothing changes. 
I will be so excited if a television concept like this actually leads to change, like Mary Hollis no longer wanting to go be on a sitcom or Annie Murphy being like, you got to hire people on the crew that represent, you know, love for for multiple characters on the show or whatever. As silly as that might sound, because it's like, how do you dictate that? I know like they have to get the concept of the show in a way that the the actors feel supported, I guess is the very nicest way to say it. But man, the carryover I'm saying is like, that's like jaw dropping. Cause like, who can say that on a show that like the actual things that were happening on the show changed the minds or the actions of the actors and the crew. How often does that happen? It doesn't like Valerie Armstrong. I grew up watching all of the sitcoms that are being jabbed at here that like we all did any kid who grew up in the 80s or the 90s any person who's been alive and watched tv since the 1950s honestly has grown up with yeah but there was something special about the 80s and the 90s it was dual parents out in the workplace so now so and and kids were really being more latchkey kids in that 80s 90s window we weren't doing every single after school activity like kids are now and we just watched a lot more tv and there was all these sitcoms like really at this level for us this show is attempting to dismantle something that is so ingrained in our society because it's just how it's always been done i Mm -hmm. I think mary Mary mentioned it she said people new writers who submit spec scripts to get jobs on writing staffs for sitcoms are basing their spec scripts based on old sitcoms which employ all of these kinds of toxic and harmful tropes. Until that changes, it's just another part of the thing that has to change. Yeah, And how do you do that? So the, my, the tweet essentially was, I've watched TV. I was raised by TV. I've, I'm entering my 10th year of talking and writing about television. And I've never seen anything like Kevin can fuck himself in the best way possible. It truly is unique, not only because of the storytelling device that they're using, the single cam and the multicam story ties, but the way in which it is non-apologetically dismantling with pointed strikes at, at these tropes by showing you them, but making you watch them. It's it's like clockwork oranging your eyes open. It kinda it it is kind of right. It's like this, it's this like therapy, like exposure therapy. Like, yeah. okay, watch this first. Right. Okay, now let's see the results. Okay, now you're gonna watch it again and you're gonna have to watch that sitcom again. Okay, is it hurt more this time yeah. when you see it? Like the more and more you're exposed to it, the more and uh, yeah. I think you're dead on that they're nailing the tropes. That is the key of the sitcom, is as uncomfortable it is. They are nailing the bullshit that goes on on them. Okay, you know? Ke- Kevin's very excited. He's jumping on bed. Look at him. He's so funny. He's jumping on bed. He's getting a hoodie. He's a big Belichick fan. He lives in Massachusetts. He's a big Belichick fan. He wants his hoodie. Oh my God, that is hysterical. It's less funny now. Oh, is it still funny? It's weird. Okay, so Mike, I have to ask this question because a lot of people are going to be asking this and I don't know the answer. So I'm, me and you are both people who enjoy comedy. We can laugh at things that are irreverent. We can laugh at things that are, you know, they don't always have to be super PC and we can still laugh. You know, we can still find humor. So what does a sitcom look like moving forward? How, how do you address the people who say, well, there's always got to be a butt of a joke. Like there's, a, you know, the punchline's always got to have somebody. So basically all we're doing is switching from everyone having an issue that it's, you know, the, the female is going to be the butt of the joke and all everyone's going to do now, you know, it's quote, so hard to be a man these days because we're all going to just start making fun of the men. Like 
where do we go comedy wise where we can laugh and we can enjoy ourselves and we don't have that feeling that somebody has to be the idiot? Is it possible? Well, you and I both enjoyed Schitt's Creek. Right? Very much. And I, but do, would you say that even I, on that, Roland is the idiot? Was he though? I but think, it's not a gendered thing, I suppose. I, I would say Roland was a buffoon, but Roland wasn't the butt of the joke. Roland had a real good fucking life. Had a, <laughs> he did. So I think Schitt's Creek is a perfect example of how you can do a comedy without without using someone constantly as the butt of the joke as the one and only butt of the joke and, and, right you know step one have a plan step two dot 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 step three profit you know that thing where like the middle is <laughs> sure. where, where the profit is always the the sitcom wife is the butt of the joke is the beleaguered one or is the one who has to watch her, her dumbass husband get away with ever the thing was without consequence because it's not even that Allison always has to be the butt of the joke. The, the hoodie is a great example. The trope there is that, and the the more harmful trope there is that there's never a consequence to Kevin for his actions. That he can be harmful to her without consequence. He can be harmful to the neighbors without consequence. Kevin 632, life three. There's that other level, though, that is, is also that Allison has no impact on her own life. No matter The fact that she did steal it didn't change the trajectory of the storyline. And in that right. part, too, I think, yes, there's no consequences for Kevin, but there's also no change. There was no derivation from the storyline despite the fact that she does something unexpected. That part, too, I think, addresses this idea of what if you're inconsequential in your own life and, and what happens then? How many sitcoms have a plot line in an episode where the wife who's a homemaker, it's almost invariably a wife is a homemaker. So not your Claire Huxtables, right? That, that show was different. That show was different than other sitcoms because Claire was actually working. She worked, right. And she was a, and she was a high level professional. Right. And, and didn't apologize for it and didn't make bones about it. And it right. was, and was at work and had meetings and you're right. There was never a plot line where Claire had to be in the kitchen fixing dinner for Cliff. We can't hold up the Cosby show. We're going to go, I'm going to throw that out there because of, because of Bill himself but the concept i'm pointedly not focusing on the husbands in the situation claire huxtable was an anomaly in this situation think of your deborah's think of your betty uh not betty your your wilma flintstones think of your alice cramden's and think of your jill taylor your oh, jill geez. your jill taylor paul put up a great poll you know which sitcom wife is most likely to want to have killed her husband and i actually voted i know it's a secret poll but i actually voted that jill taylor me too i voted that too that's funny i because man oh man so how many plot lines involve these women who then they get a job there's always at some point in the series, yeah, that's they're going to go get a job. They wake up one day. And they're like, you know, I don't contribute anything around here. Let's not even discuss. Homemakers. Yeah, you made my, eye, my eyebrows go way up in my hairline. <laughs> am, am I am I wrong though, or is that that always the conversation? Is I keep the house running, I keep the kids alive, I keep everything going here at home. But they wake up one day in the sitcom. No, here's the here's the frequent one. The kids are getting older; they don't need me so much. Ah, that's, that that's is true. Almost, 
That's almost the one you hear, right? And it usually happens when the kids are like, "Mm, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, right? They don't, they, they're fine to be after school for an hour until I get home, or I could at least take on a part-time job. A part-time job. A part-time job. job. That's that's what I can handle. Like my, my poor woman brain can only handle. Oh God, you have got, you better just start screaming from the mountaintops. He's joking. He doesn't mean that poor woman brain. Clearly I'm joking, but (laughs) here's the problem. Even in those episodes, when the women are, the sitcom wives are allowed to have that menial role how many times is that the last time you ever hear about it because they're not allowed to actually move forward one step forward two steps back all the time in the real world in sitcoms it's no steps forward ever it it is it is so frustrating and you have to sit through that portion of this to appreciate what her and what allison and what patty are going through i think on the outside I very much hope that as this storyline is going on, I really hope that people get so invested in Allison. And and one of the things that I saw, Mike, that I wanted to know what you thought about was that people were actually kind of angry at how they made Annie Murphy. The quote was be a clumsy klutzy person right that that they were actually angry at the and this was actually a man just just in case someone wondered like the powder around her lips or her kind of jokes where she's doing the yum 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 the kind of like dorkiness factor that's there people found that offensive which is fascinating because somehow her having any and i'm not even going to call them flaws but just her not being perfect her not being always, you know, put together or always whatever, like actually bothered some fans. It's, it's important to me as a viewer that she is not presented as a perfect person in her single camera life. She has powder around her mouth. She isn't perfect because I think it would be so unrelatable to people if she didn't trip every once in a while or she didn't catch her sweater on the trash can lid. People are irritated that she is for lack of a better word, like kind of dorky like that, right? Like like mishaps happen to her and they're annoyed by that. They they somehow think that that's like rude or something. What is that? What is that element there? I don't have a I don't have a great answer except to say that there's a reason why CBS still fills its schedule with these sitcoms. People want to see pretty housewives. There's a podcast that I, I listen to called Treks in the City. It's it's two women hosted, Veronica Osorio and Alice uh, Wetterland. Veronica Osorio is a, a comic. Uh, and one episode it had nothing to do, uh, so little of their podcast actually has to do with Star Trek. But uh, they were talking about, Ver- they're both actresses uh, or actors, and Veronica was talking about how She's a comedian. She's funny. She can never get cast in any kind of role that requires any kind of physical comedy. She talked very bluntly about how only men, lesbians, or unattractive women can get cast to do physical comedy. Because Mm. because people don't want to see attractive women do physical comedy. And so networks don't hire attractive women to do physical comedy. Okay. Well, so then that's what these these things really are. I mean, the yum 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 and the getting your, you know, your sweater caught on the the trash can. I mean, it is physical comedy. It is moments of of physical Imperfection. comedy. So I I get it. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So there's some sort of message like crossed wires when you see an attractive woman having some sort of, you know, misstep in their day like that. There's like a like that doesn't make sense. I can't compute. The show talked the show represented those people you're talking about in d 
when she stops and she's like, Allison, what's happening here? And she pulls yeah. she pulls the hoodie away from her. She's like, there's a hole in it. There's stains on it. Don't yeah. let yourself go. For why? Not for yourself. Not for your own self-esteem, Allison. Don't let yourself go for for Kevin. There, there is a whole element. I know like the Drew Barrymore's of the world have managed to do some, you know, physical comedy. Uh, this was specifically TV her. shows, this conversation. No, 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 but no. Yeah, yeah, no. But what I'm trying to say is they're like unicorns. I mean, it's very rare. You can get a, a Cameron Diaz can be beautiful and then also, you know, have some have some sort of physical humor stuff. But it, it is few and far between that you get to see them being comedic in a way that's not like beautiful and graceful. You know, it's not usually it's sharp, witty remarks are what beautiful women are allowed to have. But you're right. They're not allowed to like spill something on themselves or something. That's not going to work in, in this right. world. One of the things that I thought was super interesting in the panel, you need panels like this. This is why I go to TV festivals and watch panels. When they were talking about the small moments, like that Allison is always moving from the front door to the kitchen or the kitchen to the front door. And she does this back and forth, you know, like a conveyor belt practically. And she's always moving around. And Patty is always sitting in the same spot. And that to like watch how that changes, that at different points, you're going to actually see Patty standing next to Allison. And that small physical change changes like that are going to be, you know, these little heads up to their relationship evolving. I love when there's little moments like that. And and so thankful that we have panel moments to be like, hey, did you see that? And it's like, oh, thank God someone said something. I don't know that I would have noticed. And now now that she said it, I'm like, yeah, Allison's buzzing around constantly, you know, always. And, they're always on the periphery. They're not. Uh, Allison. Yeah, they're never know, in the middle. They're, they're always not, just. Yeah, yeah it's really fascinating and listening to Marion and 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 Annie talk, actors wise, they're also kept to the wings. It makes you think about like Lucille Ball. What was her experience as being a creative on I Love Lucy? But she was the Kevin though, really, in I Love Lucy, right? Which is a super good point. Remember, we are trying to remind everyone this is not about gender. In a lot of ways, she was the Kevin. That's why maybe she gets to be in the middle of the shot so often. That's why she gets to have no consequences so often from her crazy antics. Because she was the Kevin. I just thought of that now as I was saying it. <laughs> but but it's interesting. Watch, watch the show. Watch the sitcom scenes. Patty and Allison are never allowed to enter the middle of the shot, or at least not in any sustained way, only to assist the men in some way. The last thing I want to mention is that they did talk on the panel of that this show is trying to show perhaps what progress looks like. And it does raise the, raise the question for us as critics and TV watchers, what does progress look like? You know, what do we want to see on our television sets? Would we be happy now to have our own kids watch these shows and emulate them in any way? Would we want that? Or would we be like, oh my God, please disregard. Like we laugh at these things, but we never really, you know, we don't, that's not the way we live our lives. Also, I'm going to go back to my question because I am a comedian and a comedy lover at heart. How do we write comedy that works for people that can allow for some amount of, I don't even know what to say, like kind of pushing on each other a little bit without all the isms, if you well, will. I mean, I think it starts with abandoning this dynamic. There's nothing, I, I, there's nothing new being told in the married couple multicam sitcom genre because it would force you to explore the relationship you may still wind up with kevin stereotypes and and sitcom wife like tropes but it, but getting rid of the actual kind of show caroline since since tv has been invented this dynamic has thrived and endured there's never been probably a year of television that there wasn't a married couple 
sitcom, multicam sitcom on the air. Which is really fascinating when you think about it because pretty much everything else has changed. The way we watch the news, certainly the way that dramas are written, they're so much more complicated and layered. The way that, you know, children's programming is has changed so much. This is probably the only little slice of the pie that really hasn't changed at all it's like it's like a tree grows in brooklyn if the tree was a toxic waste dump <laughs> comedies have changed you have shows like Shit's creek ted lasso is another one or animated uh sitcoms like central park but i'm thinking of shows like the office or seinfeld was a good one even friends was an example of an evolution in the sitcom dynamic. Everyone was the butt of the joke and everyone was the Kevin at different points. That's what real life is. Maybe Gandhi and Mother Teresa were not Kevins at some point in their life. Otherwise, <laughs> I think everyone is a Kevin at some point in their life. But we're also all Allisons, I think, at, at points in our life or Patties at points in our life. That's real life. And so I wish comedies reflected that where is kevin james or rick roberts ever the allison in their stories they're never ray is never deborah in everybody loves raymond ralph is never alice ever in honeymooners so i guess we're i guess as video viewers we're just asking for it to start better reflecting the audience, which is which is really what every panel across the board touched on in this ATX season 10. I mean, there was, you know, calls for more diversity, whether it have, was the messy middle with people with special needs or whether we were talking about more inclusion and diversity, whether it be people of color. I mean, I think that that's been the call across the board, right? Like we want people on television that reflect us as a society better. And this sitcom format doesn't work for most of us anymore. It doesn't you know, doesn't reflect us anymore. It's not funny. There's so much other good TV out there to watch. Maybe that will be the remedy to this is continued great writing and new, fresh ideas. And we're seeing a lot of that in the ATX panels. I think there was a lot of a lot of things that are coming out that I'm excited for. I would have to go pull out a TV guide or go online, but I'm sure somewhere on the fall, upcoming fall schedule, there is a married couple sitcom trope, multi-camera sitcom trope out there. That's the tree, the toxic waste dump tree that grows in Brooklyn. So while let's pave over that. Let's pave over that and eliminate that from the show. That's the next best step, because as long as that remains even the smallest viable option for comedy, it'll never really fully change. It'll never fully go away. So the big thing, of course, is coming back to the idea that this does represent people's lives and that, you know, married couples with with one partner being their irresponsible one is reflective of what's going on in the world today. And that's what needs to change in order for us to see different things on TV. So I don't know. I'm going back to my Phil Amazing Race. Like, if you don't like what you see in your edit, maybe you don't like the way you behave. Maybe you don't like who you are as a person. Exactly. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thanks for listening to Pod Clubhouse Press Pass, your one-stop shop podcast where we take behind the scenes with coverage of festivals, cons, and live events. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and all of Pod Clubhouse's podcasts at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I just said podcast a lot in a very short <laughs> amount of time. Uh, if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic so we don't have to throw a beer pong ball at your head. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. 
rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.